0: Most of my books are now available as audiobooks. Go to slash
1: audiobooks.
0: If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. THE
1: BAD
0: COP I'm what do-gooders refer to as a bad cop, and between you and me, they're not wrong. I patrol the business district of an old town, and I lay down the law. Restaurants in town all give me a free lunch. They know I won't come when they call otherwise. Jewelry stores in town give me items at cost. If they don't, I'll just sit by and watch when someone robs them. Local drug dealers give me a cut of the action, or else I'll bust their ass and throw them in a cage. I harass anyone out on the street who gives me even a hint of suspicion. I'll stop them and pummel them with a barrage of questions, Doing everything I can to get them to incriminate themselves so I can haul them in or knock them in the shins with my nightstick if they get mouthy. I run this town. I'm strict and probably not fair, but what are you going to do about it? Call my boss? Go ahead. I collect more money for this town than anyone. The only discipline I'll ever receive is a light slap on the wrist while I'm simultaneously being patted on the back. Back in the old days, the emphasis was on keeping the peace. Nowadays, it's all about enforcing laws, writing tickets. You know, collecting commerce for the city. So as long as I write my fair share of tickets, the chief doesn't care. And believe me, I'll write out a ticket at the drop of a hat. I love watching the distressed look on the faces of the peons as I drop a fine on them. I always get a good chuckle when people refer to me as a public servant and imply that I work for them. (laughs) What a joke. People can believe whatever they want, but let me make one thing perfectly clear. I am the king of this town. I'm the boss, the citizens are the employees. I'm the parent. The citizens are the children. I'm the ruler. The citizens are the peasants. Those are the facts, and if you don't like it, I don't give a shit. It was a Thursday night just before midnight. I was cruising through the historical district of town and noticed a man on a bicycle rolling down the sidewalk. He turned and cut through a bank parking lot and then rode up behind one of the old buildings. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he didn't have a solid white light on the front of his bike or a solid tail light on the back of his bike, as is mandated by the town. That was a good enough excuse for me to question him and hopefully get him to slip up so I could slap the cuffs on him and haul him down to the station. As he got off his bicycle and started punching a code to an electronic door lock on the back door to a large building, I zoomed through the parking lot, shined my bright lights on him and jumped out of my car. Hey buddy, come here. The man turned around and smiled at me. He was about six feet tall with wavy salt and pepper hair. He was wearing a casual light blue long-sleeved t-shirt and jogging pants. He had a hawk nose and a sharp gaze. His unusually white teeth were exposed when he smiled and approached me. His voice was smooth and almost hypnotic. Yes? Can I help you? You don't have lights on the front or back of that bike. It's required by city ordinance. I wasn't aware of the ordinance. "'Thank you for informing me. "'I'll correct the situation.' "'This guy was smooth, but I wasn't near finished with him. "'You know I could write you a ticket for that if I wasn't such a nice guy.' "'He stood staring at me while holding the grin. "'He said nothing. "'What are you doing out this late?' "'He motioned to his bicycle. "'Riding my bike?' Little late for a bike ride, don't you think? What were you really doing? He stood gazing at me with that intimidating stare, but didn't respond to me. Technically, it was smart on his part. Citizens aren't required to answer any questions I ask them, but most aren't aware of their rights. In this state, they are required to tell me their name if I ask. What's your name, buddy? He didn't hesitate with his answer. Bartholomew, Galilee. Date of birth? His grin widened. I don't remember. This guy was messing with me and it was pissing me off. You don't remember your birthday? Okay, wise guy, give me your social security number. His smile widened more and his white teeth were beaming like reflectors. But he didn't answer me. Hey, did you hear me? He nodded. Oh, I heard you just fine. So what's the damn number? Again, no response. So I removed my nightstick from its holster and pointed it at him. I was hoping to frighten him. It wasn't working. If anything, it seemed to amuse him. Where do you live? The mysterious man pointed at the building behind him. I'm the owner of that building. I live there. I've given you my name. You and I both know I wasn't doing anything wrong. So if there isn't anything else you need, I'd like to proceed into my building now. Is that okay with you, officer? This guy knew his rights, and it was really irritating me. He knew he didn't have to answer any of my questions other than to provide his name. He knew he wasn't doing anything wrong, so technically I couldn't charge him with a crime. He knew that unless I was arresting him or detaining him for a suspicion of a crime, he didn't have to stand there and chat with me, and I had to let him go. But what he didn't know was that being all alone in the darkness behind the buildings where there were no witnesses, It would be his word against mine, and judges will always believe the word of a cop over a peasant citizen. I got chest to chest with the man and stared into those dark, cold eyes. I was just hoping he'd touch me and give me a reason to crack his skull. But he didn't. He just stared at me in the most sinister of ways. It honestly sent a chill down my spine but I wasn't going to let him know that. Quite the contrary, I amped up my intimidation tactic and spoke to him in a harsh whisper. It's your word against mine, buddy, and no one is going to take your word over a cop, and this cop says you just shoved me. I raised my nightstick high in the air and had every intention of bringing it down onto the man's skull. If it killed him it killed him it was self-defense i mean that's what i tell everyone and who wouldn't believe me but then something unusual happened my arm froze in mid-strike i couldn't move at all i tried but it wouldn't budge and then the man's cold eyes lit up red and he snarled revealing fangs i swear to god He had fangs. The man's voice became hoarse as he spoke to me in a growl. Do you want to die tonight? I felt my eyes well up with tears and I started blubbering like a baby as the tears raced down my cheeks. No, no, please, no. That's right, beg me. (laughs) Please, I beg you, please, I don't want to die. I wailed on for a bit, and as I did, the monstrous man before me chuckled. I am your superior. You are a speck of dirt. He snatched the nightstick from my hand and elevated it high into the night air. I didn't even have time to raise my hand in a defensive posture. I was about to be pummeled to death, but then in a flash, the intimidating man simply handed the nightstick back to me. Have a nice evening, officer. With that, the mysterious, daunting man pushed his bike into the building and shut the door behind him. The next day, I asked my supervisor for a transfer to another town. I'm no longer a law enforcement officer, I'm a genuine peace officer. God only knows how many other people there are out there like the man I encountered that night. I hope I never run into another one, but if I do, I don't want to give them any reason to kill me. Are you ready for fragments of fright? Volume 5, because it's ready for you. Over 20 scary stories are waiting for you. Go to ManiacontheLoose.com slash books or go to Amazon and search for Fragments of Fright. The Chase. I'm a line cook for a large restaurant called The Iron Skillet. It was very late on a Tuesday night. The wait staff had already finished their duties and departed, as had all of the other cooks. Normally, I would have been long gone too, but wanted to give the kitchen some extra cleaning. Most nights the assistant manager would be there later than anyone else, but tonight, He had to tend to some family matters and asked me if I would close up for him, which I was happy to do. It was approximately 1 o'clock a.m. when I finished. Before locking up and going to my car, I decided to step out into the back alley and have a smoke. The alley was large and dark. It smelled of old cooking oil and garbage. I was leaning back against the wall and staring down the dreary alley at the darkened marquee of the movie theater across the street. As I exhaled multiple smoke rings, I was surprised to see the slender silhouette of a woman entering the alley. I was putting it together in my mind that it was an odd time of night for a lone woman to be coming down the alley, but then I realized something was wrong. She was running... And I don't mean leisurely. She was flying down the alley in a full-blown panic, huffing and puffing along the way. I straightened up and tossed my cigarette to the ground. As she entered the lit area around the alley door of the restaurant, I could see she was sweating profusely. Her emerald green eyes were darting around anxiously. Are you okay? She brushed her fine sandy blonde hair from her face and spoke in a flustered rush. They're after me. Who is? I looked down the alley and saw no signs of life other than a fat rat sniffing around a metal dumpster. The woman latched onto my apron as she pleaded with me
1: Three men. They're chasing me. You have to help me, please.
0: I could hear footsteps of multiple people running. From the sounds of it, they'd be to the alley within seconds. I quickly opened the restaurant's back metal door and ushered the woman inside. I then took in a few deep breaths to relax my nerves, lit another cigarette, leaned back against the wall, and took a deep drag. She was right. There were three of them and they were sprinting down the alley toward me. Two of the men zoomed past me and zipped down to the other end of the alley. The third man stopped in front of me. He eyed me intently as he leaned over and caught his breath. I said nothing. I waited for him to break the ice, which he did after rising back up. He sucked in one last deep gulp of oxygen before he questioned me. Did you see a girl run through here? I shrugged and tried to channel my inner Robert De Niro. No, I didn't see anybody. The man was in his early thirties with close-cropped hair, He was of average height, but was solidly built. He was wearing a tight red t-shirt that highlighted his bulging biceps. I'm what some people may refer to as scrawny, so this was not a guy I wanted to tangle with. Really? You didn't see anyone come through here? I shrugged again and shook my head. The man looked around confused. I was sure I saw her come this way. I was relieved that he was coming off more perplexed than suspicious. He seemed to be buying my false story. He shouted out to his companions, Do you see her anywhere? The other two men were out of the alley at that point, so I couldn't see them, but they were close enough that their answers echoed loudly down the alleyway. No, no sign of her here. Well, keep looking. I'll catch up to you. The man in the front of me was clearly frustrated as he drove his fist against his thigh. Damn it! where did she go?' He took in a few more deep breaths and then fully turned his focus on me, noticing my white cook's outfit. "'What are you, a chef or something?' "'A line cook.' He nodded and eyed the door behind me. "'I'm parched. Could you give me a glass of water?' Under the circumstances, I figured being accommodating would be the right move. Perhaps he'd chug down the water and be on his way. Then I could find out from the girl what the hell was going on. Sure, hang on a minute. I opened the door and headed into the restaurant. To my surprise, the muscled man grabbed the door and followed me inside. I immediately gazed about, hoping that the woman was nowhere in sight. Initially, I thought that was the case. But then I spotted her foot and the lower part of her leg sticking out from behind a large freezer. If this guy spotted her, the jig would be up and he'd be all over the woman. It was obvious that I wouldn't be much help against the brawny guy in a physical confrontation. I continued to keep my cool as I grabbed a glass, filled it up with tap water and handed it to the man who wolfed it down rapidly. I really wanted to persuade the man to leave, but I was afraid that tactic may arouse suspicion. The man was casually looking around the kitchen, not as though he were looking for the girl, but more like he found the guts of the restaurant's kitchen interesting. He was looking to my left, but if his gaze shifted to the right, and he peered down at the floor, he'd see her. I kept my focus on his eyes, hoping he'd keep his eyes away from the freezer area. But my fear came to fruition as he turned his head and stared directly at the area the girl was hiding. He was mere seconds away from spotting her, so I made a desperate move by quickly stepping up to him, thus blocking his view. Of course, this move would be unusual if I didn't accompany it with some dialogue, so I did just that. Who are you looking for? My tactic worked. His focus was now solely fixed on me. A woman. I let out a little chuckle. (laughs) Aren't we all? The man was not amused. His expression was stone-cold serious. Not just any woman. This woman is a serial killer. She killed my sister with an axe, and I know she's killed before. And she'll kill again if we don't catch her. His last word was barely out of his mouth when his eyes widened in fear as he looked past me. I spun around as I heard a shriek coming from behind me, and I let out a gasp as I watched the woman bolt out from behind the freezer and rush toward us with a butcher knife in hand. The woman whizzed the knife inches from my face as she buried it into the chest of the muscled man. He lurched forward in an attempt to engage the woman, but the life rushed out of him quickly, and he collapsed to the floor. The crazed woman ripped the knife from the man's chest, whirled around, and pressed it against my throat. I held up my hands in a defeated position, and was practically hyperventilating as she moved her face mere inches from mine, and whispered,
1: Everything he said was true. She
0: then gave me a hard kiss on the lips,
1: Thanks for saving me.
0: With that, she confidently strolled out of the restaurant and disappeared into the night. I never saw her again. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's com slash support. THE GARBAGE DISPOSAL
1: I live in an old apartment complex. It was pretty basic, nothing special, but it was close to where I worked and the rent was cheap. When the owner sold the building, the new owners quickly made it clear that they were not going to renew anyone's lease because they were going to completely gut and renovate the building. Unfortunately for me, my lease was up in two weeks, so I had to find a new place to live, and fast. It's difficult enough finding a decent place to live when you can search at a leisurely pace, but when you're in a time crunch, it can be near impossible. I got lucky. There was a duplex apartment available less than a mile from where I worked. The landlord told me the ad wasn't live more than 10 minutes when I called. He expected dozens of calls after me, and was positive he'd have the place rented before the end of the day, but since I called first, I was going to get first dibs. When he showed me the apartment, it appeared that someone was living there. The closets were full of women's clothing. There was a toothbrush and toothpaste on the bathroom sink. There was food in the refrigerator. Several pairs of women's shoes were sitting by the door. Nice shoes. They were way too big for me, or I may have asked if I could have them. The landlord was honest with me. He explained that he didn't know what happened to the previous tenant. He had been trying to reach her to renew her lease, but couldn't get a hold of her. Once her lease was up, he entered the apartment and could find no sign of her. It was as though she had vanished. That may have spooked some people, but not me. The duplex apartment was great. It had a decent-sized living room, small kitchen, and one bedroom with an attached full bathroom. It was much nicer than my previous apartment, and the rent was more than fair. The landlord said the person renting the apartment next door was an old woman that was quiet and kept mostly to herself. In other words, the perfect neighbor. The only caveat, besides the unusual disappearance of the previous occupant, was that the duplex was just down the block from a large, century-old sewer entrance. He insisted it didn't smell, but always liked to make sure prospective tenants were aware of it. That didn't bother me either, and I signed a lease on the spot. A week later, I was all moved in. I hadn't been there a week when I heard the first unusual sound. I was sitting in the living room eating a blueberry pie. The sound was coming from under the floorboards in the kitchen. It was a long, steady rubbing sound, like someone sliding their hand across the underside of the floor. It lasted about 20 seconds and then stopped. Had that been a persistent sound, I would have had to have asked the landlord about it, but. I didn't hear anything else after that and forgot all about it. A week later, I was watching TV and eating oranges. Rather than throw the orange peels away, I like to put them in the garbage disposal. Doing so leaves the sink smelling like citrus. I threw all the orange peels in the sink. I always wait to do dishes right before I go to bed. I wanted to wait and grind them up in the garbage disposal then. After relaxing on the couch and watching a movie, it was nearing my bedtime. I went to the kitchen and started doing dishes. It didn't even dawn on me until I was halfway through that the orange peels were gone. I was certain I put them in the sink. I even checked the trash just in case I wasn't thinking and threw them away. But they weren't there either. For the life of me, I could not figure out what happened to those orange peels. The only thing I could think was maybe they slid down the sink into the garbage disposal. Just in case that was what happened, I flicked the garbage disposal switch on. The garbage disposal roared to life and then suddenly halted, and I thought I heard the shriek of some kind of animal from within the depths of the sink. I immediately shut the garbage disposal off and I swear, I could hear a slithering sound from within the sink that gradually grew distant, and then silent. When I went to bed that night, I heard the slithering sound again, like something was snaking its way around under the floor. It lasted for a good two minutes before it stopped. The next day, I met my duplex neighbor, Maud. She was near 80 years old with billowy white hair and wore a tattered terry cloth robe. One of the first things she said to me was unusual. Do you hear it? Hear what? Under the floor. I was relieved that I wasn't the only one to hear something strange. You heard it too? She nodded. It likes fruit. I was confused. Uh, uh, what? What does? Maud shrugged. The sewer is under us. God only knows what's down there. Maud put her strong hands on my upper arms and pulled me close. She warned me in a whisper. The garbage disposal makes it mad. I wasn't sure if I heard her right. It was such a bizarre thing to say. What? She didn't repeat herself. She let me go, turned, and walked away. Even though I heard odd noises, I didn't take my new neighbor seriously. I wrote her off as a kook. Things were quiet the next couple of weeks. I had been working long hours so wasn't home as often and when I was home, I wasn't hearing anything out of the ordinary and I almost forgot about those peculiar noises. It was a Saturday night. I had just sliced up a Granny Smith apple. I was going to take the apple slices to the couch and watch TV, but first wanted to dispose of the apple core. I tossed it down the garbage disposal and flipped the switch. The sound I heard emanating from the garbage disposal was ungodly. It sounded like a squealing pig gargling pop rocks. This was accompanied by a rhythmic clicking noise not unlike a dolphin. Something awful was in my garbage disposal and I wasn't going to wait around to find out what it was. I turned to run away from the kitchen but felt something thick wrap around my throat It was very muscular and slimy. It pulled me back and when it twisted me around I was able to see what I was dealing with. There was a fat, greasy tentacle sliding out from the garbage disposal. It was glistening as if covered in dirty maple syrup and it reeked of sulfur. I opened my mouth to scream. But the tentacle wound its way into my mouth and down my throat, preventing me from crying out. The tentacle began to secrete some kind of acid. I could feel it oozing within my mouth and down my esophagus. It had a hot metallic taste to it, and I could hear my flesh begin to sizzle. The muscular tentacle pulled me into the sink, pounding my head against the stainless steel over and over as it tried to pull me into the garbage disposal. One would think this to be an impossible task, but my skin was disintegrating at an alarming rate. It was literally melting, and in no time I found myself being sucked down through the garbage disposal and into the dark depths of the sewer below. I knew now what happened to the previous tenant. I just wouldn't be around to tell anyone about it. Here's a super fun
0: way to support the show. Go to maniacontheloose.com store and buy some Maniac on the Loose merchandise. Let the world know you're a listener. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, mugs, there's a bunch of items to choose from. And you have a multitude of design choices, including all of my book covers. Go take a look. It's super cool. Go on. Do it. Right now. Go. Maniac slash store. The Storage Unit
1: I was part of the Army Nurse Corps back when I was in the military. When I left the service, I did what a lot of other Army Nurse gals did and got a job in the medical field. I enjoyed being a nurse. I've always liked helping people, but the medical field had gotten so damn politicized, I couldn't stomach anymore and quit. I bounced around from job to job until I finally found something I love. I buy abandoned storage lockers and sell the contents. It's pretty simple. Everyone is aware of storage facilities. They usually consist of a series of small garages that people rent to store items in. If someone stops paying for their storage unit, the storage facility will auction off the unit after they've given the non-payer sufficient time and notice. Storage unit auctions differ from normal auctions. Rather than auctioning off items individually, the bidders are bidding on the entire contents of the unit and bidders do not get to go into the locker and look around. The auctioneer will open up the storage locker and give everyone a few minutes to gaze inside, but without stepping foot into the locker. It can be a bit of a crapshoot. Some units are gold mines, some turn out to be garbage dumps. It was a Thursday evening in western Kentucky, and I was at Sam's Secure Storage. It was one of the larger storage facilities in the region. Fortunately, the storage units were all indoors because there was a nasty storm tearing through the area. The rain pounding on the metal roof of the facility was deafening. The thunder was literally shaking the building. Due to inclement weather, the auction was nearly void of bidders, which was good for me. The less competition, the better. The bad news was that most of the units were practically empty or full of trash. But lucky for me, the final storage unit of the day looked promising. I could see a fair amount of furniture inside. I had a good connection with the local used furniture store and can usually unload that stuff quickly for a hefty profit. There was only one other serious bidder for the storage unit. He bid me up to 400 bucks before he bowed out. I could easily see over a thousand bucks worth of furniture inside there, so this was going to be a nice score for me. After everyone else dispersed, I stayed alone in the storage facility, stepped into the unit, and started digging through it. As I began sifting through some of the boxes at the front of the unit, I could hear the rain start to dissipate and then abruptly end. The pounding of the rain was replaced by the eerie silence of the storage facility. There was something ominous about Sam's secure storage building. It was huge. It was like a factory housing thick corridors lined with cold gray metal storage unit doors. The walls of the facility were cinder block. The walls in the corridor I was in were covered in worn, flaking, dark green paint. And this place was old. I believe I heard Old Sam once say that he thought the place was built back in the 1930s. The unit was quite full, so I was going to be there for a while. Old Sam was probably still in the front office, which was all the way at the other end of the building. But otherwise, I was alone. And I really hated being alone in this place. It just gave off a sinister vibe. I started pulling all the furniture out into the corridor. It was older furniture than I thought, and was in relatively good shape. The unit was going to turn an even bigger profit than I initially expected. Once the furniture was out in the corridor, I could see what else was in the unit. There were a lot of boxes full of men's clothes. They were in decent shape. I'd make a few bucks off of that. There were about a dozen tarps that had never been opened, and I found multiple sets of surgical knives that were in pristine condition. Then I noticed the shelving units on the back wall of the unit. It was an old wooden shelving unit that had been permanently attached to the wall. The first thing I noticed on the shelf were five covered petri dishes. They were stacked neatly next to each other. On top of each dish was a strip of tape Each Petri dish had a name written on the tape. Sarah, Heidi, Lois, Molly, and Bonnie. I picked up one of the dishes and crinkled my brow in confusion as I tried to ascertain what the contents were. At first, I thought they were dried onions, or perhaps coconut peelings. When I finally realized what I was looking at, I quickly set the Petri dish back down. Ew! They were fingernail clippings. Next to the Petri dishes were five clear jars. Again, each had a label with a different name on them. The names were the same, Sarah, Heidi, Lois, Molly, and Bonnie. Each of the jars contained a lock of hair bound together by a rubber band. Sarah, Heidi, and Lois were black-haired women. Molly evidently had brown curly hair, and Bonnie was a bleached blonde. Next to the hair jars were another set of five jars, all stacked in a neat, tidy row. Again, each jar was labeled individually with each of the five women's names, all in the same order. I couldn't tell what was in these jars. At first, I thought it was full of dead spiders, which had me a little freaked. I'm more than a little freaked when I recognized what was really in the jars. Pubic hair. The first three jars were filled to the brim with black pubic hair, the fourth with dark brown, and the fifth, well, it appeared that Bonnie was a true fair-haired blonde after all. To say I was disgusted was an understatement. I was going to make sure I wore rubber gloves when I tossed these nasty jars into the trash. Then my gaze shifted to the neatly stacked cassette tapes next to the jars of pubic hair. Each tape had each girl's name written on the front of it. I noticed an old cassette tape player sitting next to the tapes. It was plugged into a socket in the wall. So I put the tape labeled Sarah into the cassette player and hit the play button. There was approximately 10 seconds of silence, followed by the anguished cries of a woman. I quickly hit the stop button. I had listened to enough distressed cries of pain when I was in the army to know that what I was hearing on the tape was authentic. I started stepping toward the storage unit entrance. I hoped old Sam was still in the office so I could report this to him, and quite frankly, I just didn't want to be alone. As I took a step toward the entrance, I noticed a round metal ring hanging off of one of the cinder block walls. It seemed so out of place that I paused for a moment and stared at it. That's when I realized that the cinder block wall around the metal ring looked strange. There was something off about it. After a moment, I realized that it wasn't a cinder block wall at all. Someone had installed a false wall in the storage unit and that metal ring was the handle. My better judgment said no, just leave it be and get out of there. But my curiosity won out, and I slowly, carefully, pulled the false wall open. I stepped forward and found myself in a tiny dark room. I flashed my light on the wall to the left and found another wooden shelving unit. Like the ones at the back of the unit, this was lined with jars, each donning one of the women's names. Each jar was filled with the pale liquid. Immersed in the liquid was a hacked-off finger. I let out a gasp and swung the beam of light to the right side of the wall, illuminating another row of shelves. This one housed large jars, and I found myself staring eye to eye with the decapitated heads of Sarah Heidi Lois Molly and Bonnie I let out a muffled scream and immediately turned to run but froze in my tracks when I heard heavy footsteps echoing through the corridor outside someone was coming I ducked back into the false wall room next to the decapitated heads as the footsteps grew louder I then heard voices and recognized one of them as old Sam he was frightened and pleading with somebody ''We tried to contact you several times. You never answered your phone. You never answered our letters.'' The voice that replied was deep and raspy.
0: ''I was away.''
1: Old Sam continued to plead with the deep-voiced man. His voice was now trembling with fear.
0: ''You should have called and let me know you were going to be away and couldn't pay. We, 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 could, have, we, we could have worked something out.'' ''I was in prison.'' And then they deemed me insane and sent me to a mental institution which worked out fine for me. It was much easier to escape from.
1: It was at this time that the two men entered the storage facility. The deep-voiced man was enraged.
0: My storage unit! It's a mess! What happened? We... 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 we sold it. Sold it to whom? melissa
1: Melissa Moorhead. She won the auction. She bought the unit. The deep man's voice was dripping with intrigue as he spoke. Melissa? A woman? What does this woman
0: look like? Uh, she's she's tall. Is she fat? No, no, she's not fat. Is she a skinny girl? No, I wouldn't describe her as skinny either. She's well proportioned for her height. What color is her hair? Uh, blonde, kind of a sandy blonde. Mm blonde. And do you think
1: Melissa has blonde hair everywhere? Old Sam seemed bewildered. He didn't know how to answer the perverted question. Who would? The deep-voiced man was furious by Old Sam's lack of a timely response and finally came into my view as he shoved Old Sam against the wall.
0: Answer me!
1: I was disappointed to see the size of the man. He was a lot taller than me and had long arms. I can handle myself just fine, but likely wouldn't be a match for this guy. The tall man had his hands wrapped around Old Sam's throat and was squeezing with ferocious force. Maybe back in his prime, Old Sam could have given this tall guy a go, but not in his current elderly state. I could see Old Sam's eyes rolling back into his head. He was going to be dead if I didn't do something, so I stepped out of the shadows and yelled, ''Hey!'' The tall man immediately let Old Sam go and spun around to face me. The man was pale with short spiked blonde hair. His eyes were unusually large, and he had a deep scar running from one side of his forehead all the way down to his chin. I could try to fight my way out of this, but I'd probably end up on the floor like old Sam. I had to think of another tactic, and fast. I quickly grabbed the jar that held Sarah's head. I could see by the tall man's panicked expression that he didn't want any harm to come to his trophies, and that's all the information I needed. I hurled the huge jar against the storage unit. As it shattered to the concrete floor, the tall man let out a loud bellow and rushed to the fallen head, bent down and cradled it in his arms. If I were alone, this would have given me enough time to get to my truck and peel out of there, but I couldn't leave Sam. He was nearly unconscious, coughing on the floor. I quickly grabbed the jar that held Heidi's head. I lifted it high in the air and rushed up behind the tall man who was stooping over. I brought it down with all of my might. It shattered over his head, which sent him crashing to the floor. I hurried over to old Sam, slung his body over my shoulders, and carried him out of the storage facility and into my truck. I drove for at least five miles before I pulled over and called the cops. When the police got there, The tall man was gone. I have no doubt he's out there somewhere collecting more fingernails, variety of hair, and heads for his collection. Whenever I think of how close I came to being part of his trophy case, I break out in goosebumps.
0: From the mind of a maniac. Eight horror stories that are interconnected either significantly or slightly and are all bundled into one gigantic collection. That's right, you get eight books for the price of one. Maniac on the Loose, The Nine Lives of Ski Mask, The Craving, The Caretakers, It Lives in the Attic, Goat Sucker, Spirit Stalkers, hell is full. All eight books for the price of one. Go to Amazon and search for From the Mind of a Maniac or go to maniacontheloose.com books. FEAR OF THE NIGHT. I always hated visiting my grandparents' house. There was something about that place that spooked me. Something wasn't right there. From the second I'd step foot inside that house, I'd get the creeps. I'd feel like I wasn't supposed to be there, or that something didn't want me to be there. Being that my grandparents lived in Michigan and we lived in Tennessee, we didn't visit my grandparents often, maybe once a year. But I dreaded going. The house wasn't too big. It had a main floor, a small upstairs area, and a basement. It wasn't an intimidating house from the outside. To me, it didn't look much different from any other house on the block. And although it didn't look old... My grandparents had lived in the house for over 30 years, and they were not the original owners, so I guess it was kind of old. My dad was an only child. He grew up in the house. I once asked him if the house ever scared him, and he replied, Sometimes. He told me that when he was asleep in his room upstairs, once in a while he'd wake up and feel someone next to him but when he'd look, there was no one there. I once asked my grandfather if he thought the house was haunted. He was an honest man and had a straightforward way about him. He didn't hesitate to answer, yes. He told me that he'd be in the basement working on something and would hear someone walking around upstairs, even though he knew he was home alone. The year was 1975. I had just turned 11 years old when we went on a weekend trip to my grandparents' house. Actually, at that point it was my grandmother's house. My grandfather had died the previous year. The house was even scarier without my grandfather there. The less people that were there, the creepier it got. I hated when it got dark when we were there. The house was still scary during the day but not like it was at night. I had the feeling that things came out at night that weren't supposed to be there. I feared bedtime when the house was deathly still. I always had a difficult time falling asleep in that house and it disturbed me when I lie in bed late at night with my eyes open knowing everyone else was asleep. Sometimes I'd hear footsteps and I'd pray that it was my parents or my grandparents just getting up to use the restroom. But sometimes I got the eerie feeling that it wasn't them. Night had fallen. Bedtime would follow shortly. My parents were in the living room chatting with my grandmother. The TV was off. The only other sound in the house was the ticking of the big clock in the hallway. I listened as the seconds ticked away and bedtime got closer and closer. I was only half listening and wasn't sure how the subject came up, but I heard my father talking about the previous owner of the house. Not a lot was known about the previous owner other than it was a man who lived there by himself. My grandfather once mentioned that the man had died in the house. He died upstairs. My grandfather died upstairs, too. My grandmother thought that to be strange. She said he never went upstairs. But that's where they found him. He was lying on his back on the made-up bed in the guest bedroom. The clock struck 10 o'clock and rang 10 times. To me, it was like a scream demanding us all to go to bed. And we did. My parents slept upstairs in the guest bedroom. My grandmother slept in her room on the first floor. And I slept on a sofa bed in a room referred to as the TV room, even though there was no TV in there. This was a terrifying time for me. Normally, I'd sleep on the sofa bed in the TV room with my sister, But she was away at band camp, so I had to sleep in the TV room all alone for the first time. I didn't want to. I even asked my parents if I could sleep up in the guest bedroom with them. I begged them. I told them I'd just sleep on the floor next to them. My father scoffed at the idea and reminded me that I wasn't a baby anymore. And it was time for me to start acting more like a young adult. So there I was, all alone, in the TV room. My grandmother was in the bathroom down the corridor. She was in there for quite some time. The light shining out from under the bathroom door slightly illuminated the corridor, which was comforting. The fact that my grandmother was still awake was even more comforting. Five minutes later, she exited the bathroom and turned off the light, causing darkness to swallow everything up my heart began to race. Thirty minutes later, I knew everyone else in the house was asleep. Except for me. I felt so alone, and oh, how I wished I wouldn't hear anything moving around in the house while I lie there. For the next hour, my wish came true, but then I heard something. It was footsteps coming from upstairs. Obviously, it was just my parents, at least I hoped. I prayed. The footsteps moved around for longer than I would expect. They were comforting to me while I suspected it was my parents, but the longer the footsteps lasted, the more I got the feeling that it was not them at all. It was something else. Then I heard the whispering. Multiple voices coming from upstairs. I couldn't make out what was being said. It was just a constant array of static scribbled whispers. I closed my eyes tight. I put the pillow over my head to drown out the noises. I just wanted to fall asleep and wake up to daylight and the soothing voices of my parents and grandmother talking while having coffee and breakfast. I did not fall into a deep sleep, but I think I dozed off slightly for a little bit. When I opened my eyes again, the house was silent. Unnervingly silent. I raised my body up into a sitting position and listened intently for a long minute. Silence. Something was wrong. I could sense it. I needed to shatter the ghostly darkness so I hurried out of bed and flipped the light switch on the wall. Nothing. No light. Just the empty click of the light switch. I stepped out of the TV room and started down the hallway to the bathroom. I had to feel my way there and felt a sense of relief when the palm of my hand slid off of the wall and onto the bathroom door. I quickly pushed the door open and flipped the light switch. Nothing. Darkness still dominated the house. I was scared. I could hear my heart beating. I held my hands out in front of me to avoid banging into a wall, and I ran into the darkness down the hallway to my grandmother's bedroom. I turned the doorknob and gently pushed the door open. Grandma? There was no answer. She was probably asleep. At least I hoped. She might get angry with me if I turned the light on and woke her from her slumber, but it was a trade-off I was willing to make. I flipped the switch. Nothing. For some reason the electricity was off in the entire house. Grandma? Still no answer. I knew my grandmother kept a huge flashlight in a drawer in the kitchen. I felt my way down the hallway and moved as fast as I could. I finally reached a void in the wall that was the entrance to the living room. I had to walk through the blacked out living room to get to the kitchen. I moved fast, banging my knee against a cushioned love seat along the way. I knew I had reached the kitchen when the warmth of the carpet transitioned to cold tile under my feet. I felt around blindly, opening drawer after drawer and feeling around at the contents silverware, pens and paper, dish towels, and finally I felt the cold round metal of the flashlight. I grabbed it and pressed the rubber button and was relieved to see a beam of light crashing through the darkness of the house. I moved the light around the kitchen. It was clean and tidy. The kitchen chairs were pushed neatly under the table. The emerald granite counter had been wiped clean and I could smell the subtle scent of dishwashing liquid lingering in the air. I moved out of the kitchen. The beam of light lit my way through the quiet living room and the long hallway to my grandmother's room. I stepped inside the room and shined the light on her bed. The bed was empty. The covers had been pushed to the side and there was no sign of my grandmother. I stepped out of a room and back down the hallway to the bathroom. I focused the beam of light into the bathroom, but the room was empty, and there was no evidence that it had been recently used. I wasn't about to go to bed without finding someone, and the next place to check was the upstairs bedroom where my mother and father were sleeping. I stepped back into the living room and shined my light on the upstairs door. It was a layout unlike any I had seen before. A door appeared out of nowhere in the living room. Upon opening it, one would be greeted by a long, skinny flight of stairs. There were walls on each side of the stairs giving a claustrophobic feel as one ascended the stairs. There were no handrails on the walls. Instead, there were years of subtle, dirty handprints staining the walls from those who ran their hands against them as they made their way up. I stood in front of the doorway in the living room and took several steadying breaths before I slowly turned the stairwell doorknob. The door creaked loudly as I gently opened it and shined my light up the stairs. Normally, when opening that door, I'd be met with a cool draft. This time it was different. The air was warm and heavy. There was a stale stench of sweat in the air that stayed with me when I inhaled through my nose. I shined the beam of light to the top of the stairs. The bedroom door was open, but I couldn't see anything beyond the doorway. That's when I heard the voice. Come up here. It was a male voice. It was not my father. I slammed the stairwell door in the living room shut. I immediately spun around and darted to the front door. Something was wrong. I needed to get out of that house. I needed to get help. I tried to turn the front door's doorknob, but it wouldn't turn. It was as though it were glued. It would not spin even a tiny bit. I tried and tried. I started jerking on it, hoping maybe the door would spring open, but it didn't. I couldn't get out of the house, at least not that way. I turned around and dashed through the living room into the kitchen and onto a small foyer that housed the back door. I grabbed the knob, attempted to turn it, but was running into the same issue. The doorknob would not turn even a millimeter. I could not get out of the house. The basement was behind me. I turned around and stared into the blackness of the basement. I didn't even bother shining my light down there. That cold, cinder block basement was even creepier with the light on. There was no way I was going down there. So I creeped through the kitchen and back into the living room. As I stepped into the living room and moved the beam of light to the stairwell door, I gasped. The door was open. I was certain I shut it. I knew I did. I quietly inched my way to the open doorway, shined the light up the stairs, and gazed at the open bedroom door. Mom? Dad? There was no answer. I noticed that the air in the stairwell was no longer warm and thick. It was cold, like it normally would be. Mom, are you up there? Dad? No response. I didn't know what to do. I tried to convince myself that the hoarse voice I heard earlier was my dad, even though I knew it wasn't. I had to find someone. I didn't want to be in the house all alone, so I took a step on the first stair, and then the next, and then the next. I kept the light shining on the open door at the top of the stairs that awaited me as I continued to slowly, cautiously climb the stairs. I was halfway up the stairs when I heard the door behind me slam shut. I spun around and the beam from my flashlight confirmed that fact. I bolted down the stairs and tried to open the door, but like the front and back doors, the doorknob would not turn. I was locked in the stairwell. I was crying profusely at that point and screaming, Mom, Dad, where are you? There was no answer. I was alone in the stairwell and had to make a choice. I kept telling myself that my mom and dad would be up there asleep if I woke them up Everything would be fine. I moved swiftly up the stairs. Each step I took reverberated through the cold stairwell. I paused when I reached the open door at the top of the stairs and then took in a deep, choppy breath and stepped inside the guest bedroom. I immediately aimed the beam of light on the bed. My mom and dad were there. So was my grandmother. They were all lying on the bed, dead. They were lying side by side. They were pale. Their mouths were agape. Their eyes were wide open and void of life. I screamed and stepped backwards away from their bodies, forgetting there was a staircase behind me, and I tumbled backwards down the stairs. When I hit the door, it opened. I got up and ran through the living room to the front door. I tried opening it again. This time, the doorknob turned, and I ran out into the street, screaming in terror. After a thorough investigation of the bodies, the coroner ruled the death of my mom, dad, and grandmother to be natural causes. I told the investigators of the strange voice I heard up there, but since there was no evidence of burglary or foul play, I think they brushed it off as the overactive imagination of an 11-year-old boy. Sometimes I lie in bed at night staring at the ceiling wondering what would have happened had I listened to the voice I heard and went upstairs into the guest bedroom when it told me to. Would I have wound up like my parents and my grandmother? Deep down... I know there was something evil in the house that night. What exactly? I don't know. Nor do I want to. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a bunch of them, and most of them are free with Kindle Unlimited. Don't have Kindle Unlimited? No problem. They're all priced pretty cheap. Go to maniacontheloose.com books.